Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to a brand new episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. Uh, and of course, they will always have some sort of tying aspect uh, that links them together. This week, our uh, pairing title is Princess Problems. We have a couple of really, really, uh, well, one extremely well-known film and one film that is probably not known to everyone. It was popular when it, it when it came out in theaters and then sort of has, has gone into obscure uh, obscurity. So the first one, which we'll be talking about today is the absolute classic by most people's estimation, The Princess Bride from 1987. Uh, this movie has been lauded by just about everyone. Um, uh, there's still a lot to talk about. I'll probably get some hate mail by some of the comments I make. Uh, but, let, you know, so so buckle up. Buckle up for that. Uh, get your pitchforks ready. And then next week, we'll talk about the pairing, which is The Princess and the Goblin, uh, the 1991 animated feature, the first uh, feature-length film distributed from Wales. Uh, I'm actually a little dubious about that claim. I'm, I'm sure there's probably something before it, but that is uh, that is what it is claimed to be. And it's about a princess and some goblins, and uh, and we'll talk about it. So today's The Princess Bride. I'm, of course, your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. We also have with us Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm great. Fall arrived in New England today, and I am ready to OD on pumpkin spice. Oh, yeah. We're in a heat wave here in Palm, Palm Springs and Palm Desert again. It was 107. Uh, oh, and I'm, I'm, if you're watching the video of this, which you can find at YouTube on our channel uh, and on our website at some point, I have like my bangs just stuck to my head. It's just stuck. I just, there's nothing I can do. It's just disgusting. Uh, but, you know, I'm a lizard, so I enjoy it. We also have with us back from a hiatus, our longtime contributor, Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Oh, I'm wonderful. It's good to be back. You know? It I is fantastic to have you I haven't seen back. these idiots for a while. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to hear uh, what idiot words they say about these films. <laughs> Well, you know what? There are going to be lots of people calling me an idiot, I think, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, and Tad Mastroioni, how are you doing, Tad? Why? Why? Why, why the Princess Bride? No, I know why. 
I know why. Yes. Uh, yes, because both these movies had Princess in the title. And uh, I wanted to talk about it because I have feelings about Princess and the Bride that I'd like to share with the world. And no one, no one will listen without throwing stones. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it over the airwaves, over the video screen. So uh, if you throw something, it, it won't it won't physically strike me. Uh, it sounds like I hate the movie. I don't hate the movie, but I have I have I have thoughts. OK, I'm allowed to have thoughts. Uh, yeah, so let's dive right in. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, you really should see this movie, regardless of, of, of differing opinions, of which there seem to be little. The Princess Bride, 1987, Rob Reiner's most famous film. Rob Reiner, of course, celebrated director, uh, uh, son of famed comedic actor Carl Reiner, one of my favorites from uh, my childhood watching All in the Family. And the cast here is great. We have Princess Buttercup, played by Robin Wright. Uh, who was a long-running daytime TV actress at that point. We have, um, now I always mispronounce his name, Carrie Elwes, 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 Elwes. I don't know why I, I butcher his name just about every time I do it. But of course, he is an incredible actor and quite handsome, and in my opinion. And he looks the same now, which is real weird. Uh, I think... You know, maybe he's part of that um, uh, that QAnon conspiracy pizza eating stem cells while molesting children, whatever crazy bullshit they think is happening to make, you know. I was just going to say the stand. Paul Rudd club, but that works too. <laughs> it's true. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd truly is ageless. That's actually a little concerning. I'm a huge fan. and um, But anyway, I do think it's Carrie Elwes. You guys can write in and, and complain to me for mispronouncing his name. Um, we have uh, uh, Mandy Patinkin, who is plays the fan favorite character, Anigo Montoya, uh, a, a debonair swordsman. And uh, then we have Andre the Giant, of course, who is uh, legendary, uh, even before Gen Z and the end of millennials knew him only as uh, the, the Richard Fahey artwork uh, and Obey stickers, things like that. It, Andre the Giant is a legend. He was a pro wrestler, very huge individual, deep voice, uh, known to be pretty much the kindest, nicest person uh, to ever grace show business. We have Christopher Guest. He plays sort of a side villain, the second hand uh, man to the main villain, um, Count Rugen. An interesting note, Christopher Guest, uh, who has quite a storied uh, resume in cinema and acting is actually a baron technically in real life so that's fascinating to me chris sarandon plays prince humperdinck the villain who uh was very much uh not physically in stature but very much the inspiration for um the uh prince in the first shrek film in my opinion we have one of the greatest comedic actors of all time who is just fantastic uh wallace sean his you you cannot not know Wallace Shawn. You think you don't know him, and then you hear his voice, his like whiny sort of like uh, cartoon frog voice, and you know exactly who he is. He's I can't do it. It's he's if I could, I'd be famous. Um, but he plays a character named Vizzini. Anyway, there's lots of others, and then we have a framing story that tells this fantasy tale because it is a fantasy sort of medieval era tale, uh, where Peter Falk. Yet again, another storied actor plays the grandfather telling this story or rather reading the book of the story to his grandson uh, who starts out not really wanting to engage and then ends up being totally hooked, played by Fred Savage. So, yes, this is a Wonder Years prequel. Um, and 
no, it's not really a Wonder Years prequel, uh, but it could be. So we'll get right into it. The plot is, is that in the inside story, this woman and her farm boy, which I'm going to have questions about, uh, are deeply in love, but he goes off to make his fortune before he marries her. He ends up uh, being reported dead, killed by the Dread Pilot Roberts, uh, which actually there was a real Dread Pilot Roberts, is probably one of the most famous pirates in history. Uh, and he ends up being alive, but she doesn't know that. And for five years, she just goes through the motions of life, not caring about anything until the king sees her and says, oh, I want to marry her. Uh, it's not really in the movie very clearly, but apparently he makes her a princess so she can marry him, which is why they call her a princess even before she marries uh, Prince uh, Humperdinck. So she's going to marry this guy. She doesn't love him. He knows that, whatever. And then all of a sudden she gets kidnapped by this gang of uh, sort of, medium level bad guy thugs with Wallace Shawn's character of uh, Vizzini from uh, Sicily uh, being the mastermind. He's the wit. And then Andre the Giant's character, uh, Fezzik, is the strong muscle. And then the good swordsman is uh, Mandy Patinkin's character, Anigo Montoya. Anigo uh, Montoya and uh, uh, Fezzik don't really want to do this job, but they're going along with Vizzini because he's the brains. And that is to kidnap the princess and then murder her, planting evidence to make it look like it was the nearby rival nation that did it, starting a war. Uh, however, she's saved by uh, a mysterious Zorro-esque man in black, which is Carrie Elway's character, Wesley. Uh, come back. He did not die. Uh, again, spoilers, but this is this movie is so seminal. If you haven't watched this movie on at least on TNT or something, then you have no excuse to, to not, you know, to think any of this is surprising. Plus, the plot is it's not a twist. <laughs> There's no twists in this plot. It's not that kind of movie. Um, so Wesley shows up, has been like, you're unfaithful. And she's like, I thought you were dead. And then they quickly fall back in love. Uh, Vizzini dies because he, he thinks he's smarter than everyone and he's not, um, although he is pretty smart, I would give it to him. And then uh, they join up with Fezzik and Inigo Montoya to defeat Humperdinck because Humperdinck steals the princess back and tries to kill Wesley and you find out he orchestrated the whole kidnapping and attempted murder, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's a bad guy. His right-hand man is the Count. He's a bad guy and all our good guy friends end up in the castle trying to stop this wedding and save the princess so she and Wesley can happily get it on forever. That's the plot. That is the story that is being told to young Fred Savage. <clears throat> I'm going to just, so the first time I saw this, which is very much probably why I have certain views on this movie, was as an adult. I did not see this movie as a kid. Uh, I'm getting crazy looks from Tad. It's true. I never saw this movie as a kid. I didn't see this movie until I think my mid or late 20s. Uh, and so it's it, it was a it was a long haul. And at that point, it had been so it was like a legend. Um, and I didn't quite there's there's some inconsistencies in pacing that made me confused as to why. Like, OK, I didn't I didn't think it was the end all be all when I watched it this time around. This is only the second time I've ever seen this film. I know this is this is nerd film blasphemy. Um, I did appreciate it much more. I still have questions. Um, the humor is sweet. This is one of those real, except for a few sort of, there's a little bit of blood, very little, but a little bit of blood. Except for those few moments, this is like the ultimate family film. Any age can watch this movie. Um, 
it's not extremely scary at any point it's not um there's there's not tons of sex jokes there's no nudity there's very little violence and there's really clever wit and wordplay that uh you only appreciate more and more the older you get uh, that said i did not have a childhood attachment to this film so i viewed it from a very different lens i was already a film critic at that time and so i viewed it from a very different lens uh this time i did enjoy it more certain things i realized okay i was wrong this is actually a quite good moment and then other things that reinforced yes this is problematic for me uh but let's go right into everybody else's experience jeff what was your first experience with this movie what did you think about it tad just flipped me off i expected that uh and and what did you feel watching it this time around um i you know i i've watched this movie so many times i don't know when i first watched it like i don't like it was probably so long ago um and and the funny thing is uh I've watched this so many times and every single time I forget that this movie starts out with like a Commodore 64, like uh baseball game, baseball game. Yeah. yeah. Which is just like the weirdest. Cause like, I don't like, I almost like forget that that like whole part is part of the movie until it starts. Cause for the most part, it, it doesn't, it's, it's meaningless. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a way, probably a little, little bit of a way to soften the blow of the, the, the the story context is you make it less real by mm-hmm. kind of doing this kind of story storybook telling the game um, is hardball by the way for Commodore 64 sure thank you just in case anybody wants to go back and play it a great baseball game um I've never, never played it I just assume it was good those good graphics, graphics those graphics were crazy absolutely gorgeous yeah and it still look pretty good yeah yeah they hold up um so yeah so I, I don't know when i've seen it um the first time uh, i probably was a, like young or, or quite young um and uh so uh, i don't know i guess this is this film is magical to me um and i and i and i think it holds up because like literally every line in this film is quotable including the ones that you didn't even think were going to be quotable but then like you know 30 years later you have lines uh, like, uh, oh, it's just that masks are terribly comfortable. I think everybody will be wearing them in the future. That like, it's just like, well, where did that come from? That's like the best line ever for the last <laughs> three years. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> in this completely unassuming and strange uh, situation. Um, that that particular line comes up when Andre the Giant is throwing stones at uh wesley and uh who wears a mask uh and uh, andre asked him why why would he be wearing this mask um and so that was his answer uh pretty funny at the time uh absolutely hysterical now um but yeah i mean like there's just it's just endlessly quotable like you, you can't go three minutes in this film without something uh something quotable that you you've probably heard somebody um say in casual conversation um and uh i i i kind of i kind of see what you're saying with like the pacing it's a very strange like the the storybook element of it is kind of breaks it up and like any any time the movie gets even a little bit tense they like they break it uh with like a little dialogue between fred savage and um his grandfather um columbo uh but (laughs) it's 
like so like it doesn't it just doesn't like it doesn't have the kind of the typical elements that like drive you into a movie where there's like tension and drama and um uh and in that kind of element i guess like towards the like the, the end they 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 stick with it a little bit but it's still it's still always so very light um and i think intentionally so um I think that it, that was like a strategy in the way that they were um, trying to um, portray this this subject matter, um, which you know I, it hasn't really been like redone. Like I don't, I can't think of a movie since then that has like retried this kind of like format um, in this way. Uh, but I think it's actually Odd- quite effective. Yeah, oddly enough, this format is actually revisited in um, Once Upon a Deadpool, the PG-13 re-release of Deadpool 2 that they did. It was Mm. intentionally created. They intentionally inserted a framing story. Very strange, but I actually feel like, and we'll talk more about this uh, once we hear from Tad and Mandy, but I actually feel like the fact that they did that in the the re-release of Deadpool 2, where they kind of inserted this, it speaks to the potential problematic element of this kind of framing device. Um, However, I like that you mentioned the tone, which is even when things are serious or dire, it's not heavy. Um, Because if you look at the plot points, you could literally make Game of Thrones out of this if you wanted to, right? Because you have, um, or a satire, a a social satire, you have the like um, scheming, politician who is using other people's lives and talk you know choosing and throwing them away at whim you have um the poor people elevated to a high social status i mean that guy has a fetish for torture too so it's like it does it does uh and we'll there's things to talk about with that as well um but yeah so there's there's like you could do something else if you just gave somebody the the bones of this plot and didn't tell them what it was uh and and maybe removed a key, few key elements. If they're a film person, they'd know as Princess Bride. They would make a very different film. Uh, so I do like that element and that it works because it is funny. Uh, as you said, there's no laugh out loud jokes for me when I watch this, um, but there are lots of giggles and smiles because it's very witty. I mean, the banter is nonstop. It's, it's quite, you know, it's quite effective. Tad. What was your first experience with Princess Bride and how did you feel watching it this time? I can't hear anything Tad's saying. His mouth is moving. Normally, that just means I'm not paying attention to him. But in this case, it actually means his mic isn't working. There you go. It was on. I heard him. I I think Nate's just doing a a, a bit here or something. He's absolutely just screwing with you. Anyway. I have the similar problem where I don't actually remember what age I saw this movie, but Nate, to be fair, I don't think this is the best movie ever made. And my wife is right now downstairs rewatching it because it's available because I, because I said so. And um, I have my issues with this movie. Like I have always had a problem with how jilted and how, honestly, sometimes uh, empty the plot feels because the plot is, it's storybook. It's, it's, there's it's, no tension. There's, the, the exactly. You, you know that things are going to work out. It, it's just, it, there are so many times when I feel like the plot is just jumping from one thing to another to get to the next witty quip. And that's fine. That doesn't make me not love the movie, but at the same time, it makes me 
it's not one of my favorite movies. I, I tend to hold uh, things like Labyrinth to be in much higher regard because it's much more cohesive and because it's kind of a, you know, smaller plot with, with less consequence. I like it more. I don't know. That's just my style. But yeah, it's, it's, not, my, it's not my favorite movie. And uh, thankfully, my wife is not going to hear me talk about this for at least another week. So therefore, I won't get in trouble for a while. But uh, it's not to say I don't love it. It's, I, I quote it all the time, even when I don't intend to. In fact, I actually stop myself often from quoting this movie because I get so tired of hearing the quotes. I don't even know how many times I've seen it. It's just one of those movies where I've walked into people's houses and it's playing and I'm like, yes, I know this scene. Yes, I know these lines. Yes, I know all these actors. Yes, I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's, it's like an old, warm, tattered blanket that you wrap yeah, it, yourself. It, it just feels nice. It's, it's your baby blanket, mm. the one that's really, really tattered and you, and you, can't, you can't let go. Yeah, Patton Oswalt actually in a bit once talked about how it was sort of the perfect depression movie because it allows you to sit within your depression, but it's also very comforting and warm, I think was his implication. And it's true. It, the lack of tension doesn't mean that I wasn't engaged, it, but it does mean that it lacks a certain kind of depth, perhaps. That said, it's also, I think you're right, what makes it sort of endlessly rewatchable um, because my, you know, I don't get heart palpitations kind of thing. I'll say, yeah, I agree. You nailed the biggest issue I have with this movie, perhaps, if I were to be critical of it, which clearly I am. This is a film criticism podcast, folks. Send your hate mail to cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, is that it is a bit jumping from scene to scene. There are, there are definite moments where it is a, what's happening next? Oh, something interesting to move us to plot point C. Uh, for example, the, uh, the flaming swamp right or the the is that what it is a fiery swamp flaming swamp i can't remember exactly the term but it's the swamp they escape from the prince into uh wesley and princess buttercup and it has the rous's which are the uh rodents of unusual size which it's weird because i often i'd forgotten about that scene and i i didn't remember that scene even which is crazy because i love rats i love rodents i love puppets and i love costume like monster costumes so it should have been the thing that stuck out of my head but the scene doesn't actually fit particularly well within the movie it doesn't well, need to be there well nathan it's because you don't think they actually exist uh rodents of unusual size hey i've heard the stories about people in france picking up dogs taking them to the vet and the vet's like yo this is a rat right um i've heard those uh i believe them i hey absolutely 100 but yes so i agree it doesn't mean the scene wasn't f interesting uh but it there are a couple of moments where they're just going from a to b i think that's the most striking one for me though uh is that it stands out which again I like it. It's a fight scene with a giant rat, which is a little person in a rat costume uh, with Rob Reiner doing rat noises or what he imagines rat noises to be uh, for the voice. It's, 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 it's great fun. Uh, but yes, that was, that's probably my biggest issue. Although I have some other little ones that don't ruin the experience, but I do think they're funny and I have to point them out to ruin everyone's day. Mandy, <laughs> what was your uh, first experience with the princess bride and how do you feel having seen it once again? Oh man, it's going to be like one of those bits from Sesame Street, like which one of these things doesn't belong? It is you, Nate. <laughs> I also cannot remember <laughs> the first time that I saw this film. Cannot remember how many times I've seen this film. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorites. Actually, you know, I have the hard copy of the DVD on my bookshelf all the time and the book. So By William Golding. Yeah. 
is good stuff. Um, we'll talk about that later during recommendations. Uh, but yeah, uh, love this movie. Like it's just part of um, my overall uh, upbringing, I guess, like formative years, so to speak, with all of the quotes and whatnot. And um, on top of that, like when I have had uh, developed close friendships with like coworkers or other people from school that uh, maybe didn't grow up in this country, uh, maybe we're not exposed to it as children, definitely make sure it's part of their cultural experience while they're here. And usually about halfway through the film, they go, hey, wait, this is what we're watching? Like quotes the movie? Like, okay, yeah, I haven't seen this, but I've seen it. Like, That's the best. I'm right. going to feel that. Quotes the movie. Quotes yeah. the movie. Literally, <laughs> quotes the movie um, is what- The only of, way you can watch yeah. this, if you haven't seen this movie before, guys, the only way you can watch this movie without hearing somebody say all the lines in your ear is if you watch it by yourself. It's the only yeah. way. My wife was literally quoting the- entire film next to me the whole time anyway <laughs> continue, sorry. yeah 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 no um yeah the a person literally said that halfway through the film like on their first watching probably in their like mid to late 20s but again they like um they didn't grow up in the state so again they were just but they knew they had seen the film via the experience of just talking to nerds for like five years while living here they were just like oh it was just all out of order i had no idea like how to organize them in my brain like into the order that they show up in the movie but yeah so you know that's it love this film um and like i'm not gonna throw rocks at you like if you're in the same room like there's definitely those things about it that you mentioned like from a movie critic's perspective that that absolutely um it kind of suffers from but it just it's so lovable and so comfy that like I you know I can overlook those as as many I, times as I want to watch this I as many times as I have time to watch this film in my life <laughs> I can very much appreciate that I want to say you mentioned uh the book book as well which we'll talk about later but William Goldman did write the book and the script for this and William Goldman I'm gonna say not only uh was an accomplished novelist he died in 2018 but I'm gonna say probably the best and most um exemplary screenwriter of all time i mean you could uh, there are more amazing films that he wrote than you can list we've actually this is actually the second william goldman written film that we've done does anybody know off the top of your head the first one magic with anthony hopkins the thriller where he becomes obsessed with a puppet oh that was william gosh. goldman the one uh, with the ventriloquist dummy yes the ventriloquist oh, dummy that was fucked um, up yeah. So, and I mean, and he wrote all kinds of movies. Uh, William Goldman wrote Princess Bride, Magic. He also wrote The Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He uh, wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He wrote uh, the the film version of the uh, Nixon expose uh, story, All the President's Men, um, The Stepford Wives, the original one. Uh, he, I mean, I can't, you just, Ghost in the Darkness, like you just cannot... You can't probably name three great American films uh, of of his lifetime, which, you know, he was born in the 30s. So uh, without one of them being written by him, I mean, he's that incredible. And I, I don't think his name is sort of shouted from the rooftops enough in, in film studies to 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 do him justice. I mean, it is it is unparalleled what he wrote uh, in, in American cinema. So give it up for that. Now, I do like this film and actually having watched it again recently, I like it more than I remembered liking it. 
I I think we've touched on a couple of problems. Tad mentioned the pacing. Uh, it's not it's not terrible. It's not uh like a really difficult pace to deal with. Like it's it's pretty brisk. Um, but it does have these little moments where I'm like, oh, why are we here again? Uh, it's now in 38 minutes, so you don't have a lot of time to be bored, and and you're certainly not going to be bored when anybody's talking and they're talking all the time. That said, um, I don't. I don't like the framing story. I just don't see it as being necessary at all. Um, it, yes, I get that it's supposed to be cute that every once in a while, like Fred Savage character pops in. Wait, what is this? Is this a kissing story? I mean, it's cute and it's not terrible all the time, but I, I don't really, I don't see, there's two parts about it that I understand would have been hard to cut because they're great. One is near the end when everything is resolved and Wesley and Princess Buttercup are about to kiss. And then it cuts to the grandpa and he looks at his grandson, there's his eyes and shuts it and shakes his head. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, it, it's a, you wouldn't like it. It's another kissing part. And he's like, well, maybe I, I'd like this one. It's okay. It, it was cute. And then the last one, when he says, Hey grandpa, can you come read it to me again tomorrow? And um, uh, the grandfather, Peter Falk turns around and says, as you wish. Uh, right. Which is what, Wesley said to uh, Buttercup when they were young on the farm. So I do, I love those lines. They're great. Uh, I don't hate the fact that there's a framing story, but the framing story is a device that I just don't think is necessary, especially when you have such strong bits in the film. And one of the... But yes. the novel. Yes, I understand that. So um, which I gets me into... they included it. Which gets me into the uh, age-old argument of why many producers and directors do not like when a novelist writes a screenplay for their own novel. In fact, very, very often, the novelist, when they auction the rights, will say, I have first crack at the script. And very often, that script is not used um, because they do not cut everything that needs to be cut. That's not always the case. As I said, William Goldman is probably the greatest American screenwriter of all time. I get it. It's cute. I still don't think you need it, especially since this kind of device is often used. Uh, like Mandy, we watched um, Mark Mackner's Daisy Durkins and the Dinosaur Apocalypse. The narrator is a similar device that's used to sort of bridge gaps in the story or scene so he can tell us what's going to happen here and there. We don't actually need that in this case. Um, the, the, they could, you could remove those. In fact, uh, if anybody has a link to a fan version where they've cut out the framing story, I'm sure it exists somewhere uh, if they weren't burned at the stake first. Uh, and I'd be, I'd be curious to see that. But again, I don't hate the framing yeah, story, yeah. but from a narrative. It's different. it's different from in the novel, but I can see why he tried to like salvage that sure. from the original writing. Cause it was like, it well, really, it works. You should read the book. so You can see how he did it and it works. That's, I, I agree. And I, again, I don't think it doesn't work here. I'm not sure it's necessary. And it brings me to, uh, if you're watching this on video, we have it uh, over our shoulders here, the original release poster, where what is on the poster? Is it uh, Wesley and Buttercup? Is it them uh, in, a, in a, is it Wesley in a sword duel with Inigo Montoya? Is it uh, uh, Vizzini and Fezzik uh, trying to decide whether or not to kill the princess? No, no, no. It is a silhouette of a grandfather and a grandchild in a bed in like, uh, uh, I don't even know, like a Greek, like a Greek 
structure, a Roman structure with big pylons, and then like a a vista of clouds and mountains. There's nothing Princess Bride about it except the only thing we actually see is a grandfather and a grand and and what we assume, which could be a, it's some sort of parental authority figure and a, and a kid in bed. It's not a good post for that. It's a pretty poster, but it doesn't tell you anything about the movie. And that sort of brings me to, I, I don't understand if they didn't really get the impact of the framing story, because that is not the story. The story is Wesley and Buttercup. And Inigo Montoya's, um, uh, we didn't really talk about him in the plot summary, but he joins them because his father was killed when he was young and he was scarred by a six-fingered man. Uh, it's sort of a fugitive little concept here. And he's on a, a lifelong quest to become the best swordsman so he can find and kill this man. Well, it turns out that six-fingered man is uh, the Count, the right-hand man of Prince H Humperdinky. And so he is going to be, uh, he, you know, Inigo Montoya and him have a, a very famous scene where, where they battle. Quite gruesome in the book, I understand. Uh, uh, and it's not particularly gruesome in the in the movie, which I think is probably a good choice. There would have been a lot to handle in the uh, in the movie. But point being, framing story probably doesn't need to happen. The other thing, this is just a tiny thing that I thought was hilarious. In the beginning, we're introduced to Wesley, uh, the farm boy. Buttercup calls him farm boy, and uh, and Buttercup and Buttercup says farm boy wash and care for my horse farm boy do this farm boy and he always looks at her and he says as you, it's as you wish right i'm not butchering the line okay that is the line as you wish and it's a cute play uh between them and they apparently were quite infatuated and and with each other during the filming of this which i you know happens a lot for people who spend a lot of time together and they're both beautiful people so why not but here's my issue is she not a farm girl why what is the dynamic? Because the movie does not indicate the dynamic. Does he live there? What? What is? Because the world is not actually historically accurate, but it does reference many actual historical things like uh, Asia and and locations. Um, but there are, of course, things like rodents of unusual size. Uh, eels, the singing. The I would eels. assume that he is a hired hand for a like the farm. Like, so he's a paid employee. And, and it is her farm. Um, <laughs> but again, she's not royalty. She's not even nobility. So it's just a very strange dynamic of her. It'd be like, it'd be like me. It just felt like me walking in as like um, uh, a fry cook at McDonald's and looking at the guy doing meat prep and saying, meat man, hand me that. Meat man, empty the register. Meat I'm, man, mop the floor. Like, it's just a very... Weird I think you've thing. actually, Nate, you've done this at jobs before. Oh, <laughs> of course. I'm a natural born leader, Tad. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it was funny because it was like farm boy. I'm like, aren't you farm girl? Like, what is the dynamic here? Uh, that, that struck me as funny. The other thing is, oh, one thing I loved that I have to talk about is um, the Billy Crystal, Carol Kane uh, moment. Uh, there is, uh, Wesley is killed. And he's revived by what is it? Uh, Miracle, Miracle Max. Max. Miracle Max, who is Billy Crystal in like old age, almost goblin makeup. Uh, and then Carol Kane runs out as his wife. Uh, I hope they're there. I hope they're husband and wife or or lovers of some kind and not siblings. Runs out and she's in equivalent makeup. But hearing him do his like old 
uh, old Jewish man at the deli shtick. And then her coming out and doing her um, like a decrepit version of uh, the the abusive fairy in Scrooged uh, and beating him to the, it's just, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. My wife who doesn't like Billy Crystal was like, yes, this is his best. This is his only great role. And I disagree. I like Billy Crystal, but yeah, it's just absolutely beautiful. I loved it. It was just wonderful. Um, it's unexpected every time. I mean, I'm sure that when people saw it in theaters, they were like losing their mind because it's clearly Billy Crystal, even though he doesn't look anything like he's got a full app, you know, applique makeup and everything. Um, but it was a delight. And I love that part. Um, I There's a couple of tropes I'm not a huge fan of. The uh, Inigo Montoya fight scene, he gets like, I it's the Iron Man uh, sequel problem where they always, they, they, writers love to neuter the hero in order because they think it ups the um the tension and quality of the final battle because they're like well the hero is so much better than the villain they can't possibly compete on an even playing field so Inigo Montoya gets injured several times and then he eventually turns it back but I don't like the biggest my I probably mentioned this the the worst offender in modern times of this is uh Captain America the sequel winter soldier uh is captain america gets shot like a hundred times and his whole response is i'm not gonna fight you it's we i hate it it's not useful it's actually to me it's actually it's a misunderstanding and again this is me criticizing one of the greatest writers in american history but it is uh sort of a to me a misunderstanding of the idea that a great story is when you uh you know, put a writer up a tree or put a character up a tree and then throw rocks at him. You make the thing worse and worse and worse Then they have to overcome it because we spend like in Rocky, uh, not the first one, obviously he didn't win, but in, in a movie like that, where you have a champion that comes up and finally is going to get their due. We don't want to see them better down. We actually want that cathartic moment of victory. And I hate when they're uh, sort of, it's a, dra- a Dragon Ball Z is another one. You know, Goku gets all but decapitated and then is, you know, comes back um, 100%. Tad, I can't, can anybody else hear Tad? Is it just me that can't hear you? Uh, I can hear him fine. You're range. If you guys, if you guys can't yeah. hear me or can't hear Tad uh, on the recording, uh, I apologize. But he's he's sassing me about DBZ. Fuck I think. you, Nate. No, I agree. I, I heard Dragon, that. I, as soon as you started saying that, I'm like, I think Dragon Ball Z right now because oh yeah. boy, there are some narrative black holes in that fucking series. By the way, Dragon Ball Z superheroes, go see it. Absolute fantastic. Uh, uh, yes, it's 3D animated, but it still yes. looks pretty good. Uh, Tad, you should really see it. Here's the thing. I'm going to spoil this for everyone listening. This is a spoiler. If you really, if you plan on going and seeing the Dragon Ball Z Severe movie and you don't want to know anything about it, which is weird because you're probably scoured, you know, every site possible for it. But um, this is, this was the greatest thing. This was a great framing device. It opens essentially or early on with Goku and Vegeta, the two greatest powerhouses uh, of the series facing off on another planet and then it moves to the movie and we get the entire movie 100 without them and then they are the end button on the entire story that is that was the greatest move uh in in the history of um 
cinematic storytelling where you're dealing with a series that has this kind of dynamic where you have ultra powerful characters that have gone so far beyond everybody else in this in the universe essentially in the cinematic or, or story universe that having them they have to be the focus when they're on screen they, when they're in the story they have to there's nothing else it's like why it's so challenging for many writers to write superman uh because he's so capable you have to do either you have to get incredibly creative with making issues for him and use his strengths against him or you have to create a villain that is equal or stronger which is always problematic right because then you're just it's the same story over and over again unless you write a story about them where they're literally not in it um that is it was such a beautiful move and it was a Kira Toriyama trolling everyone I absolutely I, loved it are you sure it wasn't just Toriyama writing himself into a corner for the 65th time no it's great and actually I really recommend it Tad <laughs> actually there's even a moment there's even a moment where there is a huge glaring plot hole and they say it directly to the characters and they oh, say, but you're not going to do that, are you? And these, and then they move on. And it is just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> that was a side tangent. Uh, that's a free review for you. I'm sorry for anyone who's not interested in that film. But here we go. Uh, Princess Bride. That's a minor bit because there's a, it's it's a subplot among uh, inside the film. But I, I wanted a different battle, especially since we got uh, what is considered one of the great uh sword fights um or fencing fights in cinematic history uh earlier in the film i wanted another one um the early one i'm talking about they're called they call it the um i think they call it the chatty duel uh is, is sort of what they called it uh rob reiner called it which is when inigo montoya and wesley first meet wesley is in sort of a zorro costume hiding his identity because he's been living as the pirate that supposedly killed him and they have this great sword fight that they apparently trained quite a bit for with a world-renowned fencing uh, and fencer. And um, it's, it is quite impressive. It's very fun. Uh, it's, the same, it's the same guy, actually, as the one that did the uh, lightsaber fight choreography in Star Wars. So there's reason to understand why it's very effective. Um, I wanted another one of those, and we don't get one. Uh, which is unfortunate from my standpoint. I wanted that to be the end. It might also be another nod to, it, it's sort of one of those things where the writer can't direct the action. So instead they choose a different method to tell the story. So he chose, William Goldman chose a a narrative way to parallel uh, our hero's pain when he defeats the villain he's injured in a certain way he deals those same injuries back on his enemy the count and 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 it kills him um and and that's a very intellectual way to resolve that com that battle um where we could have had another great sword fight uh my opinion uh, i would like to see that sword fight i wanted a neo montoya to have that one additional amazing sword fight uh, and we didn't get it it's probably my only last complaint about the film. I, despite being a bit of a naysayer, I actually really enjoy this film. I think it is quite a beautiful film. And it is the sort of film that comes together when everyone involved is enjoying themselves um, and, and has some sort of personal stake in it. Uh, I think that Prince Humperdinck, um, uh, Chris Sarandon is probably one of the great one of my favorite villains i'd say in cinema history he doesn't actually have that much screen time hilarious 
I do. I think he is an unsung hero of this movie because he is sort of. He's just so nonchalant about every ridiculous thing that is happening in every yes. of this film, and he like and, carries and, it so well. So well, and he has these. Um, he, I mean, what is he when he's um challenged? Uh, I mean, honestly, it's him and Count Rugen. It's not just him. It's like the two of them together. But like, yes, you know, and it's, so yeah. good. I mean, when you have so there's the scene near the end. Uh, Wesley's been brought back to life uh, from the brink of death by uh, Mer- by Miracle Max, but uh, his full body control hasn't returned. So he's laying down and he looks quite stuck. Um, and Buttercup has rushed in and and found him, and they're very happy. And then. Prince Humperdinck shows up with a sword and he's like, I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to win here. And then Wesley goes on this tirade, like just the short, like listing the atrocities he's going to visit on Prince Humperdinck's body. And then Prince Humperdinck cuts in and then he's like, I'm not finished. And he keeps going um, and just finishes this, like, I'm going to do everything horrible to you, except remove your ears so you can hear all the terrible things that are happening and all the people saying how hideous you are and stuff. And then and then it cuts to Chris Sarandon and he just stares ahead and then he goes, I think you're bluffing. <laughs> it's just that 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 was brilliant. I mean, that that to me was comedic genius. And he played it just so, so well. Um, and, and of course, Chris Sarandon uh, is was married to Susan Sarandon. That's why the name um, parallel. But brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. One thing I want to mention, and this goes into, again, the, the Princess and the Goblin, which we'll talk about next episode as a pairing for this. It's not really a criticism per se, but it is. it has been written about in uh, queer studies quite a bit, uh, as well as uh, fiction and film studies, where villains are often, they're often essentially made kind of gay uh to be and that that's sort of a a trope then and a clue of that they're a villain and i mean we have seen this in history especially in western uh society where we like to um feminize the the enemy quote unquote which is why um uh asians during uh, world war ii were portrayed as like having high voices and very thin and, and wayfish and whiny and um really bad accents that's that's actually uh, something that uh, culturally we have relied on to sort of uh, debase our enemies, which points to the sad fact of how often uh, we use femininity as a as a name calling tool, basically. But this is one of those cases where I haven't really heard a whole lot of talk about it. I'm sure I'm sure somebody's written a dissertation on it at this point for this film. But the more I watched, I was like, is there there could be a reading into this film? where the prince and the count are actually lovers. This is, and this, I'm not, I'm not trying to push a fan fiction moment, but the prince, huh? Instead of best friends. Yeah. Roommates. They're kind of, it's exactly. (laughs) It's like, it's like, you're just a really good friend, wink, wink, because, uh, because princess, Prince Humperdinck is like, layer together they have a secret layer he knows that he has a he basically has a kink dungeon set up for his you know for his partner uh it's a torture dungeon and um and they have and they are uh kind of feminine uh compared to the other characters one might say 
they're like very intimate. I guess because yeah, they, you know, and there's there's this there's this familiarity between them, and they also the prince has no interest in Princess Buttercup, which everyone else is essentially like says beautiful and stunning and stuff. Um, she's literally the most beautiful woman in the world. And and they and he <laughs> has he has so little interest that his entire plan at first was to mar- make her a princess, marry her, and before they even get married, when he's just announced it, have three uh hobo villains from across the the ocean kidnap her and kill her like it's anything to avoid sex with a woman is what i'm saying is seems to be uh there and so i wonder if this is a case uh where that's at play right uh again not i'm not saying that i don't think they treat i don't I can't really speak to this as a gay person. I don't have a, a, a you know, or, or a queer person. I don't have the experience to speak to this, but it does make me wonder. I'm like, how does that feel? I think it probably is less offensive because it's sort of like the scar in Lion King moment. You know, he, his character was sort of a de facto gay icon, right? Because characters that are coded as queer uh, or are often the only thing that queer people have in the in the pop lexicon that they can go to because they're not given equal representation in any other role um but where he's sort of yes he's gay but he's so cool and such a great villain and such a great character and a strong character that it becomes sort of this hero right i i i think this movie gets away with that in a way because um prince humperdinck is just so charm i mean so engaging like i said his delivery i mean he just i couldn't you can't i love him i can't i just he's awesome he's great and his line delivery is absolutely hilarious um so i just to throw that out there i did find that an interesting aspect now i've talked a lot about this yeah i'll bring up the book again it's interesting how it comes across in the book because in the Mm -hmm. he's like super super masculine all he wants to do is hunt all he Mm -hmm. wants to do so it seems like it takes it like in almost the opposite direction yeah because i'm or relationship or anything because he's too busy doing man stuff and his secret lair is like this zoo of death where he has all these animals and he's just gonna fight to the death oh, that's just... interesting because yeah they definitely yeah. went in a different it makes more yeah. sense though because in the film he's an incredible tracker right yeah. like he's incredible like he can he recreated yep. the entire fencing duel by looking at the footsteps mm-hmm. um in the in the dirt and so but that's not not how it really plays it's not it, and it's not it's not brought up he never hunts um really uh and he doesn't have like they just they don't he doesn't have enough time i think on on screen and i mean again oh, yeah. the movie was pushing the the limit of how long it could be because at this time especially i mean an hour and 40 minutes essentially is that's you're good stop there especially for a movie that kid people are going to bring kids to um so it's just interesting to think about. Uh, but I've prattled on a lot. Uh, I've given my side of this. I'm going to move to the recommendations and I will start. I absolutely recommend The Princess Bride. Uh, I'm like Tad. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film, but I do think that it's one of those films that is somehow greater than the sum of its parts. Um, also, the few uh, perhaps blemishes on its perfection that I mentioned, they're in no way damning. Um, these are things that if they were changed, it might actually feel like a different movie and it might not have that magic. It's just, it's come together in a way that has become a, a cultural touchstone for us. And, uh, I'm glad I saw it. Um, I'm, I'm fine with seeing it through the eyes I have now rather than a child's eyes, um, because I still enjoyed it. And 
it is one of the greatest casts assembled together of any film ever. I mean, I can't even, I mean, it's, it's eighties perfection that way. I mean, you couldn't make it better. Even if you put uh, all three Corey's in it, um, it just, you couldn't, you couldn't make it better. So I do recommend this film. Uh, I also want to see the fan edit without the, uh, without the framing story. So send me that all right like I had this i just had this moment you know like where like people were like oh like recast this film where like everyone all the characters are muppets except one of them's a human i just like had this moment where i was like recast it where all of the characters are corys except one of them is like i, don't know, <laughs> I would uh i would I would totally see that train wreck of a movie. I absolutely would. Uh, if only it were possible. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Trey Parker and Matt Stone's deep fake company that they've got going can work that up for us. Uh, all right, Mandy. So, Mandy, why don't you give us your recommendation, yay or nay, on Princess Bride? I mean, highly recommended. Plus, read the book if you're already a fan of this movie. Because I mean, like most people have seen it. Most people who are movie fans are like, I mean, that's most of our our listeners right like you're already movie fans mm -hmm. probably always seen this already seen this film if you didn't know this started out as a novel and you want to take it to the next level like check it out because the book is really good it goes deeper into the characters you find out a lot more about what happened in their backstories like each of um the characters does have a huge amount of backstory in the novel um and then there's also like the framing of like why this book even exists the way that it exists um in the format that you get to read it in and um then the fact that like it the, the original like he says this isn't even the original version of it was like uh political satire so like there's like all these levels and stuff that you get was added. it the once and future king by th white is that what the original story was <laughs> like it, the whole, there was like a framing of a father and son um, and he wants to give this book, The Princess Bride, to his son um, because his father read it to him and he loved the book and it was amazing. It was this really bonding experience between him and his father. And he wants to recreate that for his son because he's like always traveling on business and he's not around. Um, so he like gets like this old book dealer to find a copy of this book and he gives it to his son and his son is like, this is garbage. This is just like, this is just trash straight up. I'm not reading. I tried to read it. It's terrible. And so the father sits down and he actually reads it to himself for the first time ever, like from the book. Because his father or his grandfather had always read it to him before. And he realizes that his father has edited it to only be the good parts. Um, so he sat down and he created this version for us that is just the good parts. But he kind of like fills in the parts that he's taking out. He like tells you, like he gives you the cliff notes of the stuff that he takes out. So anyway, so it's like the same story and you will have so many of the same lines that are in the film and you will like hear the characters like say the lines like as you read it from the book but you're going to get a lot more depth so that's my recommendation for the princess bride <laughs> that reminds me tad we need to watch uh, alexander revisited uh the three-hour cut with all the extra shit in it anyway uh yeah that's fascinating and i like I mean, William, like I said, William Goldman is a master writer. And I also encourage people, I think you can actually get the audio version of the novel on Audible as well, which is how I've uh, been devouring books lately uh, with commutes and such. So uh, thank you, Mandy. Uh, that's another recommendation. Jeff, are you going to buck the trend? Would you recommend Princess Bride? And if so, why and to who? Oh, I wouldn't dare. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about you, Nate. You've said some, I know. you've said some things, man. I, I once, you know, just was in conversation with somebody and they asked me if I 
watch The Princess Bride, and I thought he'd be cheeky and, you know, say no, like obviously a lie, but uh, uh, they uh, murdered me and uh, buried me in a shallow grave. Um, I mean, don't worry, I got better. I got better, but... The the point is, I got that was a little bit extreme. The you know the response to that, um, and so I'd say my recommendation is um, a, a little bit you know more tempered than that. I don't think you should be murdered if you ha- haven't seen this movie, um, but you know see it. Uh, you you should uh, you should see this film. Um, it is. It, I don't like it's it's like this weird like magical thing where like it gets in your head like you know it, it, which is why you quote it all the time because it's just it's it's it, it gets in there and you know who's to say that that weird start with the framing and the blah 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 maybe that's what makes it work and I think that there is some elements to it like it really is like this thing where. I would say if you can put tension in a movie, like you, you've already done the hard part. So like the idea of then like taking tension out of the room is like insane. Like it's like absolutely insanity. Like, why would you do that? You just like did the hard thing of making people care about what's happening on the screen. And then you're going to be like, Nope, don't care. Like just relax and have a good time. Uh, So it's, but it works somehow. Um, so I'd say like, don't ever make a movie like this, but maybe that's the reason this movie works. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's just joy, comfort, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't go in there too critical. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just fun. That that's, that's where I, that's where I'm going to end. So yes, watch it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Tad, do you recommend The Princess Bride? If so, why and to who? Listening to this podcast is watch the goddamn movie. So, <laughs> yeah, that's Run. possibly true. I mean, yeah. I don't know. We we have we have listeners in India. Hey, India, I don't know how popular it is over there. They've um, seen it too. Okay, well, I'm glad <laughs> everyone I'm has glad you seen pulled, this movie. I'm glad you pulled our international listeners for this. Thank everyone you for doing the due it. diligence. Yes, it's a it's a so- movie everyone's seen. <laughs> So Tad, uh, was it is it you? So so if people haven't seen the movie, they're immediately murdered, right? Like that's the way everyone who hasn't it. seen the movie hasn't been born yet. Mm, okay, it's like all, that like, statement. It, is the fact. movie is playing in every single like uh, you know room where they have the little babies. In the remember the, in the Matrix, yeah. remember in the Matrix when <laughs> the, all the, the people the are in pods, those nurseries. Pods, yeah. That's what's playing. Yeah. It's playing uh, in there, exactly. Princess it's Brown. kind of like a pre-rack. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Thank you guys so much for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast, Facebook, Colton Classic Podcast, YouTube, Colton Classic Podcast. Go to coltonclassicpodcast.com. Click the newsletter link and sign up for our uh, future newsletter so you can get in on all the amazing things that are happening. And there are big things happening that I cannot wait to talk about. And we will catch you next week for uh, episode two of princess pair uh princess problems uh pairing which is the princess and the goblin from 1991 to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.